Welcome back to the Lime Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. This is a place that we bring together the world's leading experts in all things health and wellness to help you optimize your mind, body, and movement. Today's beautiful conversation is with my friend Daniel Vitalis. Daniel is someone who I have followed on the internets for I think probably the last maybe seven years or so. And Daniel is quite wise, quite brilliant, as you will find out in a moment, particularly in the realms of anthropology, uh, evolutionary history of humankind, our uh, understanding our hunter-gatherer ancestors, and reintegrating some of the lessons of the past into our modern lives. Daniel is the host of a popular show on Outdoor Channel referred to as Wild Fed. He's also the host of the Wild Fed podcast, as well as the Rewild podcast, which is where I was initially introduced to Daniel's work about seven years ago. And uh, I'm really just very grateful and honored to get to share his mind with the audience here. This conversation is very far reaching. As you could expect, we get into the potential impact of psychedelics on human evolution. We get into movement movements, particularly in the wild, in quotations, what the wild even means in the first place. Uh, so really interesting conversation. I think you guys are going to dig it. I want to thank you guys for leaving us reviews on wherever you listen to this. Just takes a second, scroll down on your phone, subscribe, and leave us a five-star review if you think this program deserves it. I'm going to read one from Colby LA. It says, Aaron is inspiring. Uh, I followed the Align podcast and Aaron's Instagram exercises for over three years. I am consistently inspired to achieve my own health goals as a result. I may not reach the same golden bronze that does not exist in nature. Didn't read this review before. I promise I'm just pulling up a random one. It's kind of embarrassing. Uh, only on this podcast host, but I'll keep on. Good on you, mate. Thank you guys so much once again for subscribing. Thanks for sharing this. Thanks for the reviews if you feel compelled to do so. And I uh, hope you enjoy this conversation. I wonder in your experience, what is a rye in the healthcare of modern Americans and that we have access to all the medications, all the biohacks, all the hospitals, all the drugs, all the weights, all the gym memberships, all the food, all the education, all the information, it's all there. Yet statistically speaking, the trend is going towards more obesity, more sickness and more self-harm. Where does your mind go with that? That's a great question. I'm excited to uh, engage with this question along with the YouTubers. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and just as a, an aside, I don't have data on it, but I mean, I'm sure you've noticed the same thing. You're so much better off. I mean, barring like a chronic health condition or comorbidity, I guess we say today, or, or barring some kind of like severe genetic thing, I mean, you're just so much better taking your own health into your own hands right now. Cause like you said, all those tools are widely available. It's not hard to find them. And the challenge is sorting through because there's so much. But I mean, I would say though, in answer to your question, what's the problem is I think that the model we're using for healthcare most closely resembles the model that we use for factory farming of cattle or livestock. So we're taking a really similar approach to how we treat cows and sheep, you know, this idea of sort of like mass inoculations, mass uh, antibiotics fortification of extremely inexpensive diets. So you take a diet that's devoid of certain nutrients and then you just fortify them in. So I'm always amused, like the milk has vitamin D added to it. The salt has iodine added to it. The bread has B vitamins added to it. It's like, it's like, you want to be like, hello, everyone. That's because none of those nutrients are in the foods you're eating. Like yeah. that's a problem. And the idea is like, yes, eventually you'll get sick, but like, then we'll treat that down the road. 
but yeah, I think that it's like a, it's like a factory farm model. And I, I think we want to be moving more towards, it's like, if you were going to buy a side of beef from somebody, you know, I'd rather buy it from my local farmer up the street. Who's organic, who's got a small operation or the soil's really healthy. Um, I don't want to buy it from a CAFO. And uh, similarly, I, I think when we look at the healthcare model, it's like, hey, I need to have something more organic going on here and free range, not something in the factory system. Yeah. So a common argument from folks would be, you know, to, to revert to supporting regenerative farms or a, a more ancestral based lifestyle, which we can unpack what that means exactly. It's almost like, we've come too far. We're overpopulated, which is an idea and a story that could be wildly incorrect and could be wildly dangerous or, or maybe not. I'm open to different, different discussions of that as well. But is it a meaningful argument that perhaps we've almost like painted ourselves into a corner with our industrialization and development of our population? And like, is it possible to feed the masses from a more healthy ancestral approach to nutrition? I don't know if that, that question is really like a perfect question, but do you, you, know, you know what I'm getting at? Like, I do. And there's like multiple things in there. It's, yeah. we'd really have to unpack I apologize. it. I apologize. Yeah. No, please don't. <laughs> no I, I'm glad you're asking it. No, it's, yeah. it's great. I'm enjoying the discussion. Yeah. Well, yeah, I understand the argument there because there are those folks who say, I think what's happening right now is we're feeling that there's a top down, like a factory farm, old McDonald at the top of the pyramid wants to make some sweeping changes in how he runs the factory farm. And us as sheep, we're feeling these changes taking place and it's generating resistance from us. So from some of us. So when we hear things like, like it used to be, we all kind of agreed that there was a lot of people, but now there's a little pushback against that because of these kind of green new deal approaches, which feel very top down. They're definitely not grassroots, right? They're like, like, we're going to change the world. We're going to do a great reset of your world or whatever. So there's a lot of resistance to that. As somebody who hunts fishes and forages, I can tell you that there's, I think there's too many, too many people just because of, it's not that the earth can't support us. It's, can it support us and all the habitats that support all the species that we share the planet with? If we care about that, you know, maybe, maybe we don't care about that. And maybe we're like, Hey, we're cool to be with just like crows and coyotes and cockroaches. Maybe that's actually going to be fine for us. But if we want all that diversity of a David Attenborough documentary, I think there are too many people. That doesn't mean that the earth couldn't support 50 billion humans. I just yeah. don't know that it could do that and have all of the ecosystems that we have today and, and, and you know, keep any of that intact. So that's, like, that's one component of that conversation. Can I, can I ask something there? Yeah, just please, in, rela- please. in relation to that, yeah. have, you, have you heard much of the research suggesting that by 2045, 2050 or so, there's going to be a dramatic population drop off largely due to exposure to plastics and the BPCs and the various different chemicals in there leading to essentially infertility among modern people. And then also a transition towards like it not being that cool to have kids and feminism and, you know, wanting to be like boss babe. And, you know, there's a potential transition away from perpetuating the species that maybe right now, maybe there are maybe a bit too many people, but perhaps there could be a violent drop-off coming soon that could change the tune around that conversation. And this is, again, way out of sight of my, my depth. These are just little headlines that I pull that I think are interesting, and I'd be curious your perspective. Yeah, I'm out of my lane too. Oh, um, great. <laughs> Here we are. So let's, uh, 
So yeah, maybe we'll pull back Who's behind the wheel here. <laughs> All right, but but drunk behind the wheel. Here's what I have to say about it. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, you, I, I love all your points are really observable. I mean, I don't need data to see it. My mom was one of nine kids, you know, that totally normal for her era, nine kids. She goes on to have three kids. I'm 43 years old. I have zero kids. Now, whether or not there's a massive population decline uniformly across the world is another question, because it appears to me from what I've seen that that's happening here in the first world, so-called first world, the developed world, I guess. But then in, in the developing world, population rates are increasing, especially as they, especially like as parts of China get access to the kind of living conditions that we've had, you know, not just China, sorry, around the world as people get access to the kind of living conditions that we have. So I think it's interesting. I think there's a decline in some populations, not necessarily all, but yeah, I think that will happen. And I think all those factors from, you know, like you said, the sort of endocrine disrupting xenochemicals to just social, well, education, Another big component of it, obviously, um, you know, I just took a drive the other day. I, I was driving about five hours to breed my dog with a, a guy I hunt with who's my dog came out of his pack and, and he's uh, 72, 73. Very insightful hanging out with somebody that age. He remembers the first TV that he got when he was eight, you know, and uh, he remembers when telephones were a shared line and there would be an operator on and people around town could just pick up the phone and spy on your phone calls because everybody had a shared line. Like, you know, he's watched the world really, really change. And when he was a kid, you needed a pile of children to help on the farm. So today a pile of children is a tremendous expense. It's a burden. And you, when you're, when those kids get older, they don't even take care of you anymore, really. So I think, you know, this, the conditions have changed dramatically. And I think another component of this to keep in mind is we're, We've moved tremendously from the natural environment and then the sort of a hybrid built in natural environment to a much more built environment. And now we're heading towards a much more digital environment. And probably we're not even really equipped to speculate what the social conditions that will create will be because nobody's really had to adapt to that environment yet. So in the way that you know anybody living in the city for any period of time becomes really adapted, fit for that environment, we don't know what fitness looks like yet in the metaverse. So that's, it remains an unknown. We can only speculate and what impact that's going to have. Um, but I would suspect that I would suspect that there'll come a time where breeding will not be considered a right. It'll be considered a privilege and it'll probably be managed at the factory farm level. So, you know, just looking at the trend or the trajectory, that's what I would anticipate. In the same way that carbon is, you know, it's not yet, right? Like I burn as much gas as I want and I'm allowed to exhale and nobody taxes me on that yet, but that's not forever. So, I mean, assuming that we could continue on this trend line without a massive disruption to the civilization, like a reset to the civilization, which, you know, for anybody who's like, that's crazy talk. It's like, well, ask how, ask them how Egypt did. Yeah. you know, or Rome or, or Greece or, or Mesopotamia. I mean, all of those civilizations did go through similar trend lines. And you, you know, from what I understand about it, what happens is, is the elite class gets really out of touch with what's going on with the class that produces goods and food and things like that. And, and that leads to eventually to a kind of 
instability that leads to collapse. So, you know, we see all that around us too. So it's hard to say, but yeah, I, I don't think that um, sexual, wild sexual breeding is going to be common in the future. Um, you see that kind of concept in the Brave New World. Man. I don't think that we really have come to terms, you know, over the last, what would you say, probably since 2014 or so, there's been social, socio-political conversations taking place at the national level that to some of us who are biologically minded or, or have a have a uh, take our ancestral past into consideration when thinking about the future. There's been some discussions that have made no sense at the biological level. They only make sense at like a sociological level. I'll let the user interpret that however they, they want. Yeah. There's been a lot of things I found very confusing. I mean, I understand them intellectually, but I find them a little confusing. But then I think like, okay, we've never, we haven't really figured out what it means to live at the apex of the pyramid of like the Maslow hierarchy of needs. So we're for the first time, like you can go out your door. There's no marauding bands of, you know, thieves and bandits. There's no, like, you're not being like forced to farm as a surf for the, you know, whatever land holder you're, there's war of course, and atrocity and starvation and all that. But most of us never see it. We're living like at a time where all of our survival needs are met, our social needs are, we're actually oversaturated with all the things we need to survive. So when I was talking to this guy who I was saying is in his seventies and we went to visit his friend who's in his seventies, I was asking him what it was like growing up. And they both said food was everything. Like that was everything. Like all you were thinking about every day was food. They grew up on farms. They bought sugar and flour, both of them, but otherwise like everything else came off their land or they bartered it. And Every day, just and they were happy. They said it wasn't hardship. It was just because that's all you knew. But every day was like about getting, making sure there was enough food to feed. You know, he was saying to me, he'd go out fishing for brook trout. Like as an example of the shifting baseline, I can go out and catch five brook trout a day, and that's my legal limit here in Maine. He would go out. He'd have to catch 150 of them because he's like, I had eight. There was eight men in my house that needed to eat. Like plus the women. He's like, you have any idea how much food that takes? So they're like thinking about food all the time. What we're thinking about is how can I burn off some of this food I'm eating? Cause I'm going to get too fat. You know, this is like a whole new, aside from like emperors and, and people in the Royal courts, nobody's ever had to think about this stuff before we've never had. So what's happened now is like all our needs are met. So we're getting into a real nitpicky place of, of trying to like find problems. We're trying to find problems because that's part of our nature seek out problems, create solutions. It's a bit of who we are, but we kind of ran out of survival-based problems. So now we're, we're tearing into social problems, which is probably good at some level, but we're acting like as if they have the same implications as our survival problems have, which they clearly don't. Your question, I think, is modified by that fact. Or like when, once we recognize that, that, you know what I mean by that Maslow hierarchy of needs? Once we recognize where we are on there, it's like, oh, we're at self-actualization. So everybody's out there trying to self-actualize and almost in like a, but in a, in a um, capitalist system. So there's this almost like competitive self-actualization, which is like a weird, this is like a weird new thing. So I think, you know, I don't know what it was like at the peak of other civilizations, but we're, I think we're kind of in an uncharted territory right now. Yeah. It's interesting. I feel like the the Maslow's hierarchy with the self-actualization, a lot of reverting back to some of the more like primitive 
ancestral lifestyle techniques or experiences, I think is, is kind of like a passageway to bring people into this deeper sense of, of what they would maybe for the first time in their lives call self-actualization. Like, Oh, like there was something deeper. I was on this kind of this top layer. And then I, I, you know, I think it moves in this cyclical fashion. And I think it's interesting with, um, you know, what, what you're saying of humans naturally innately have evolved from nature with in this, in this perfect manner. And every action that we do that we're compelled to do, whether it's sex or hunting or gathering or you know, any, you know, anything that we're doing, those systems are, are also, they're like innate t- tuning mechanisms. I'm borrowing that language from Philip Beach, who wrote a book called Muscles and Meridians. He called spending time on the ground, for example, archetypal postures of repose. So just through your existence in this natural and quotations environment, it's like your body circulates it flu- its fluids and it and it's you know it, it it digests its food and it oscillates in and out of sympathetic and parasympathetic and you naturally go through you know different fields of vision and your body just it just like breathes and then when you begin to divorce yourself from that you have to suddenly by necessity you need to start to juggle all of these variables and that's where i think it's really complicated like the, the human self regulates and self organizes in this miraculous, beautiful fashion, when you divorce it from the environmental conditions that, that naturally induce that, that self-actualization, that's when it's like, holy fuck, this is complicated. Yeah. <laughs> Which might be I'm part of the, to handle it. <laughs> might be part of the original question about healthcare and what's gone wrong because man, where are you right now? Texas, Austin. Oh man. I'm like, I'm seeing how pale I look compared to you right now. Oh, I just and, go outside. I just, I'm just, no matter what's happening, I go outside. That's like a part of my yeah. Uh, but you preference. can't. There's not enough UV up here yet. Like <laughs> you can go outside, but you can't tan yet. It's yeah. uh, we're too far north in latitude. Okay, so earlier on, when you asked about well, what's going on in healthcare, so as you've probably noticed, especially by podcasting in, in this space, um, and this is something I've talked a lot about in the past, was the biohacking approach can get pretty cumbersome the more stuff you start to try to stack. You know, this is just a law of nature. I mean, it happens at the atomic level. It's like, okay, you can stack, you you can stack protons and electrons for a while. You know, you go like hydrogen one and one, helium two and two. You can go up the chain for a while, but you get up to what is it like ninety two uranium, and all of a sudden now it's radioactive. Shit's breaking off, spinning off, gamma radiation, all that. Right? It's like it's unstable. When you live unnaturally, so you then want to try to approximate nature, and you're like, okay, well. At night, I, would, I wouldn't have access to this kind of light, so I'm going to wear the orange glasses. And okay, now I need to do cold baths. And okay, I'm going to make sure I do you know, heat, shock protein stuff. So I'm going to have the sauna. So I'll go sauna, ice bath, wear my glasses. Okay. Oh, I'm supposed to get exposed to this. So now I'm like in front of a big red light panel and I'm, and I'm like, oh, wait, I got to be grounded. So now I'm like plugged into the ground. You, know, you stack enough of this stuff. And it becomes incredibly unstable and narcissistic to a degree where you're like, <laughs> you know, I mean, what's my life about here, really? You know, we all have to stack stuff. No, quite. If we want to be productive, um, I'm not trying to. Uh, sometimes it, it, it's easy to, I'm making fun of it because it's easy to, it's low hanging fruit, but it's like we are, we're all doing that. I'm doing that to a degree too. So it's I'm also, not it's trying also- to make it. It's not, it's not the thing, it's, it's what's behind the thing. Why are you doing the thing? And who do you think you are as you're doing it? At a certain point, we are a mouse on the wheel because the mouse can't go anywhere in the tank. So in order to get the exercise it needs to stay even remotely fit, 
we put the wheel in there to approximate just the amount of walking a mouse should be doing, right? So we're doing that. So back to your question about the healthcare system, one wonders. So the healthcare system seems to be part of the modern ones, seems to be part of the transhumanist paradigm, which kind of says whatever we come from is, is base and banal and beneath us, progressivism is the answer. We need to progress toward something beyond human, hence the idea of transhuman, you know, merge with technology, merge with machines, become gods. Like, by the way, this has been tried before. There's some great stories about it. Anyway, so we're trying to head towards that. Well, medicine doesn't really like looking at like the ancestral stuff. So I think it's been confusing to a lot of us over the last couple of decades as these ideas have filtered it to the common person who's trying to take care of their health. Because now if you are, it's not long before you come across somebody in the ancestral health space who says like some simple sentence that goes like, oh my God, you just suddenly get it. It's like, oh yeah, I'm a type of animal. Like I should probably factor that into how I take care of myself. Well, the factory farm is, I I gave that analogy before. And the whole point of it is the factory farm and the zoo were like really opposite things. Like you could, from a distance, you might go, oh, both keep captive animals, but it's like, no, one keeps domesticated animals captive and one keeps wild animals captive. And one's whole purpose, the farm, is to extract produce from those animals or labor from those animals. And the other one is simply to keep the animals healthy as long as possible for observation. So one's goal is healthy animals that live like they would in the wild. So you go to the zoo and what do you see for confinement? You see pens set up to look like and feel like the wild environment the animal's from. No one wants to go see a, a lion in a white room. They want to see a lion on a rock, even if it's a fake rock, with a waterfall, even if it's a fake waterfall, with plants around that approximate its natural habitat. They, you would never do that on a farm because it's an economic model and the goal is to put the least inputs in possible. So what do you get? You get ugly pens, horrible cages, confinement, because the goal is to spend as little as possible and make as much on the back end as possible. So when you look at our system, you're like, oh, whoa, we're not doing a zoo for people. We're doing a factory farm for people. Like People will say euphemistically like, oh, the human zoo. It's like, no, the human farm, silly. If this was a zoo, we would be doing what Carnivore MD has been saying, or Dave Asprey has been saying, or whatever, any of these characters out there who, what I've been saying, like anybody in this space, what you've been saying, like anybody who gets that we're animals, we would be like doing more of the things culturally, but we're not because it's a farm and so, or it works like a farm. So I guess another point is like, if medicine started to look at that and that became common to think this way, I think there would be like a bit of a revolution of like of thought, like, wait, why are we even doing any of this then? It's so bad for us. Like, what's the goal of all this progressivism? Is there a goal? Like, cause you'd think like, well, what are we aiming at? You know, what are we trying to get to? And, and then I guess that would leave the next question would be like, well, do we want to go there? And a lot of people might say no, if they were actually asked, I I think I would. Yeah. Are you familiar with Marshall McLuhan? Medium, medium is the message. Medium is the massage. Is a book he wrote. It's not really. The idea is really not enough. A big part of, or the, or the, at least the meaning of that that statement is that we go to school and we think that we're learning algebra, algebra or poetry or whatever. But in fact, the medium in which we were steeping in is informing us to the highest degree. So the shape of the classroom, the lights, the walls, the Uh, you know, like the 
the, the deeper subconscious, subconscious patterns that you're picking up from the teachers and your peers and the cultural systems and all like, that's really what's forming you. Yeah, and then there's yeah. like the minutia of the details of, you know, algebra. And mm -hmm. I think it's an interesting way to perceive our existence, you know, starting off, I think it's kind of like an interesting chicken and the egg question, because you could start off say like, well, you know, the agrarian age started 10 to 12,000 years ago or whatever. And then we started forming ourselves to being more like this farm-based model. And then within that, then it goes into like industrial population or, or, or industrialization and then into this technological era. And then maybe we're going to become, you know, robots or AI or whatever. And I think it's interesting to, to draw back and kind of question like, what was it chicken or the egg? Like, did we make the farm or did the farm mentality make us? You know, did we make the technology or did the technology form us? Obviously, it's a back and forth dance, but I think that's kind of what you're getting at. And that's something that I've been scratching my head at for a bit. Like, who's informing what here exactly? Who's in control? <laughs> you know what I mean? If I start to touch that, that, I know that's not really a question, thankfully, because if I start to touch that, it's going to get real weird in here. Yeah, that's good. That's what you know, we're here for that. <sighs> yeah. You know, I, I, I think another way we can look at the progress too. Cause I agree with you about like, we go from sort of like hunting and gathering to, unfortunately I've got a friend who now I'm, I am a uh, nauseated by the everything's racism thing. That's kind of taken place. I be, why is because there's a lot of real racism and it's a lot of it is deeply embedded in and systemic, I guess, but, but there's a lot of stuff that's been called that lately. It just means you don't agree with me, which sucks because it dilutes things and Blah, blah, blah. So as I'm about to bring up this racism thing, please know uh, I'm not one of those people who runs around calling everything racist, like quite the opposite. Mm. But uh, I've got a friend in the foraging space who has written a manuscript about the origins of anthropology, and it's powerful. And it looks at through the writings of the original anthropologists, he makes an extremely compelling, probably irrefutable argument for anthropology as a apology for colonialism. And one of the things that it tends to do is be like, well, we were hunter gatherers and then we got into agriculture. It's like, okay, we were hunter gatherers this long and we got into agriculture this long ago. So we kind of act like that past is just this like short little blip of, you know, like we love to say things like prehistoric, like you mean everything that happened because history is 6,000 years old. That's when we have the first written down shit. So to take a, a, a planet this old and to just be like, oh, that's all prehistory. It's quite, um, geez, it really reduces the value of all of that time and all of that space, right? I th one way I like to look at it, like another way to kind of consider the phylogeny of it or whatever you'd call that is like, I think about with fire because the first humans have fire, like we get it from Homo erectus. So it's pretty old technology. We figured out a really long time ago. Uh, we don't really know much about how that happened, but we've had it longer than Homo sapiens have been around. So I think it goes from human beings around the fire to human beings around the fireplace, in much smaller groups to human beings around the TV and even smaller groups to human beings around the computer as individuals, and now as human beings around the phone, completely separated from each other. And we're about to go into human beings in a closet with a feedback over their eyes. Like it'd be another way to chart the progress of this whole 
event we kind of call the Neolithic revolution and all plus all that prehistory. And again, I just think we have no sense of the feedback over the eyes thing. It's like, you know, all, all of that stuff in this whole metaverse, it's going to really exacerbate all these issues we're talking about. Like, as we talk about the idea of living on a factory farm, it's like, Hey, that's not taking us in the right direction. That's for yeah. sure. I, yeah. So the, the reason that I ask the, uh, the whole medium is that the message Marshall McLuhan did, you know, did we start farming or did farming start us? Did we start technology or technology yeah. informing? Like who's, who's, who's in charge here is I feel like there is a function to most everything that exists. And sometimes you could look at things at a microscopic level and be like, oh my God, this is a travesty that this war is happening or that white blood cell is attacking that, you know, whatever. There's like, ah, it's like, no. And then you draw back and you see the symphony. You're like, ah, okay, I understand. It was really good that that was happening. And so I guess that's my curiosity is like, is there some deeper, like omnipotent knowing of what's going on right now and what we perceive to be incredibly unhealthy and, and terrible? objectively speaking, I wonder if there could be some like deeper consciousness to the whole thing. I know that's like, well, I do. I kind of have a thought about it. I mean, I yeah. don't have the answer, of course, you know, yeah. any more than you do. Um, yeah. It seems like something we're both thinking about, but I like this biblical concept that if you want to know a thing, you just judge its fruits. So it's like, is that tree good? Well, let's see what the quality of its fruit is. And many of the things that are happening now, when you look at the fruit of it, in other words, like, what is it? What is the outcome of it? What kind of emotions does it generate? What kind of behaviors come out of it? What kind of feelings come out of it? What kind of, you know, all of this stuff, like what comes out of it? A lot of it looks really poisonous to me. So it's a tough sell for me that if you, you take all this poisonous stuff and poisonous stuff and poisonous stuff, and you build it all up, it's actually part of some greater good. I don't, I think that if it was actually trending towards something better, the fruits of it would be good because it's like a, um, a hologram. Like every small part of the hologram is still a exact replica of the hologram or like yeah. a um, fractal thing where it's like, if it's good, big, then all the pieces of it should also be good too. And I'm not, I don't see that myself. And I don't like the idea that we live in a universe where there's something wrong going on. I don't, I don't like that idea, but that gets us to bigger questions about what the universe even is. Yeah. And is it what we kind of think it is, you know? Yeah. Coming back to ground. And I, I, I enjoy venturing into those directions, but oftentimes typically what happens is it comes into this kind of circular head scratching experience, which sure. is kind of where I, where I, I met with that. I was like, yeah. okay, where's like rubber hit the road you know, like yeah. we're actually making shifts with, with conversation. How, how then shall we live? <laughs> yeah. 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 And yeah. then I think it's an important thing to be able to reflect on. And I think it's an important yeah. thing, like conversations like this in an ideal, in my ideal world would be the things that spawn up when you're at the gym and you're, and you're working out and you're moving with your buds, you're picking up freaking hay bales or swinging hammers or sprinting or running or jumping over hurdles or going for a hike or going hunting or going gathering or going for a walk. Or I think that there's this really beautiful relationship between allowing your mind to travel into these directions and reflect and also the, the, the movement of it, you know, and, and it's something that, that I, I wonder with you, like the way that you move is different than most people that I know, because most of the people that I'm in relation to or like kind of gym culture type type people 
And the way that you move is, is in, in nature much more. You probably are doing some other random, you're probably, yeah, you're I probably do, own, I do own a some, lot of, own some a lot of that other stuff too, but, yeah. and stuff. <laughs> yeah. but I wonder how that's informed the way that you think, because I'm sure it has you moving in nature and also having a background and awareness of kinesiology and like the whole, you know, just that, that relationship with the way that your, your body affects the way that you feel and the way that you think and your physiology. Is that something that you notice while, when you're moving in nature, have you noticed it like changing you in a way? Yeah, there's a lot there. Well, first I just want to go back and say, um, talking about my older friends there, you know, conversation like we just had 70 years ago for most people would have been so masturbatory. Again, we're at that top of that pyramid of the hierarchy of needs that we can even have, yep. that we can even waste 30 minutes on that conversation instead of getting food <laughs> or doing some other labor that leads to our survival, right? It's like, wow, we get to sit around and talk about this stuff is crazy. This has never happened before at this level. I mean, there's been people and thinkers, but just that two random folks can do this and make a living out of it is kooky. Well, mythology has been around for a long time and looking mm -hmm, into the stars and sitting yeah. around a fire and reflecting on gods and mythos and such. I think that's been a long yeah. Far prehistory, you know, whatever the first yeah. documents put down. So I would play devil's advocate to that and suggest that we've probably been making stories up for a while and probably been scratching our heads. Culturally, having, yeah, culturally. But yeah. did we have time to sit around and do this individually? Because those stories developed over long periods of time and were carried only by certain individuals whose job was to kind of carry those stories and and they weren't allowed to alter them and and they. It's funny when you talk to people who still carry those kind of traditions because they're not always interested in exploring what they mean even. Hmm. But I, I do, I get what you're saying. Okay, but my point is, <laughs> um, so for the last, I guess it's been about seven, this will be the seventh year, I decided, okay, I'm sick of just talking about all this ancestral stuff. I'm going to go become a hunter-gatherer and I want to get some food like that in a more serious way. It's not like all I eat, of course. It's in, in fact, not even close, but but more than most people will ever come get the opportunity to do. So it's like, well, what happens if I really start to live this stuff in nature? So I do get to spend a lot of time outdoors, but my body was formed in the built environment, you know? And like, it's not like all of a sudden you wake up and now you've got like a perfect like hunter gatherer squat because you go hunting or something Doesn't not quite, but it does take care of a lot of those little things. Like you want a little cold exposure, you don't need an ice bath, like come outside and we'll find some or heat exposure, all those kind of things. But I also want to point out like in the past, we we're, we're all anticipating these very long lifespans. And so we, part of what we're doing to take care of ourselves now is because we're looking for longevity. Like I want my teeth to last as long as my body's around. I want to be symmetrically balanced. So like, um, a lot of humans who it's not like you just go to a like I know people who've lived their whole life farming. It's not like they're in like amazing physical fitness. Mostly they're like injured and pretty beat up and stuff. So I think I don't know, it's not I kind of thought initially it would replace all that stuff for me. Now I find myself having to go back to a lot of those things because the reality is I, I come home at the end of the day and sleep in a bed in a house with heat and all those kind of things like I have showers like I'm not really, I can't speak to what it would be like to really live out there, but the people that I see who do, here's the interesting thing. Okay. So an animal almost always 
not every animal, but almost all of them are going to live longer in the zoo than they will live in the wild. The wild is hard on your body. There's a lot of benefits. So we tend to, in the ancestral health community, tend to like to just focus on those things. But we we don't like to focus on all the things that go wrong out there and why, you know, there's a myth that the hunter-gatherer average lifespan is super, super short. It's not accurate. There's, you know, when you average things and when you have 50% child mortality, well, that's going to think 50% think fifty of the kids dying at zero is going to bring the average down. It's like, it's gonna. And then because we can't really date skeletal remains past age 55, we tend to just say everybody was 55 and, you know, it, it it's not accurate. But nature, you get a lot of bumps and bruises and you get beat up and you get a lot of imbalances, especially from carrying loads all the time and doing it in weird ways and running away from your enemies and trying not to get infections and getting broken. So I think what we want, ideally, it's like some kind of hybrid. Yeah. It's it's because we're not getting away from the built environment. There's nowhere to go. If I walk out of my house, I've got 31 acres of woods here that I live on. But if I walk very far, I'm going to run into somebody's backyard in every direction. Like there's no going to like live on the land anyway. So we're going to be living inside. So I think some kind of hybridized thing where it's like, I want to go get all the great things out of nature that it provides, but I also want to get the good things out of that the zoo provides. Cause I'd like to live a long life. Yeah. You know, I'd like to keep all my teeth. I'd like to minimize broken bones in hypothermia and all those kind of things that happen outside. So uh, does that make sense? It's kind of, yeah, I thought right. it was going to be a bigger solution than it is. What I have found is that the hunting and gathering component is super rewarding yeah. and it connects you to something so real that most of what you hear about on the day-to-day level, just you're like, this shit is ridiculous. Yeah. That's it's like, I try was... doing something real, you know? I'm going to take a moment and discuss something that is immensely impactful to our health and it is invisible. That is the chemicals that exist within household products. These chemicals are referred to as endocrine disruptors. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that are just about everywhere, which means our bodies are exposed to them nearly all the time. Endocrine disrupting chemicals, EDCs, are environmental toxins that mimic your natural hormones, but without the benefits. EDCs can affect the ovaries, adrenals, thyroid, and other glands, causing your hormones to go completely out of whack with a myriad of unpleasant symptoms to follow. I personally have replaced all of the household products underneath my kitchen sink and in my bathroom with Branch Basics, and I'm excited to share it with you guys. So it's pretty cool. You get one bottle of concentrate, and from that, you can fill up all your other bottles, whether it's window cleaner or all-purpose cleaner for tables and kitchen surfaces or bathrooms. Uh, also, laundry detergent. Really incredible stuff. It is free of all the things that you don't want, such as fragrances and harmful preservatives. It's totally biodegradable. It's also not tested on animals. So I am so stoked to share this with you guys. I think it is an absolute game changer for the health of ourselves, of our families, and also the environment. You can find a 15% off on all their starter kits. You can get started yourself by going to links.branchbasics.com slash align podcast. That's links.branchbasics.com slash align podcast. L-I-N-K-S period B-R-A-N-C-H-B-A-S-I-C-S.com slash align podcast yourself 15% off, I would highly recommend replacing the harmful chemicals that we 
are just lurking in the household products. So replace that stuff, get yourself on Branch Basics, and I think it's gonna make a difference. I wanted to share something that I have been loving for the last, it's been a very long time, since I moved to Hawaii when I was 18 years old, I discovered this stuff called kava. They have kava bars all over there. They're very popular in the South Pacific Islands, and it is amazing stuff. It's incredible for downregulation of your nervous system, calming yourself down, reduction of anxiety, insomnia relief. I'm just gonna read a list of some of the things it's really good for. Deeper and more restorative sleep, boosting mood and sociability, enhancing mental focus and creativity. It has anti-inflammatory effects, ton of stuff. When you are drinking kava, it's an incredible way to connect with those around you. It's a great replacement for alcohol, I would say a million percent. And I really love the stuff. I particularly value the kava from True Kava. And we also have a 15% discount for listeners out there. So all you got to do to get the 15% discount and try kava for yourself is go to gettruekava.com slash discount slash align 15. So that's spelled get true kava g-e-t-t-r-u-k-a-v-a dot com slash discount slash align 15. I think this stuff is just fantastic. It doesn't have any kind of hangover effects and it is one of my favorite tools for hanging out with friends, for people I care about, sharing some kava and uh, just going deeper in conversations, feeling fun, feeling amicable, feeling euphoric. And I think you guys are going to dig it. So jump over to gettruekava.com slash discount slash Align15. You could also just use the Align15 code at checkout for 15% off. I was listening to your podcast is called wild fed and you're listening, you just did a, a conversation with a falconer and I grew up in, in falconry. My dad was a, a falconer. No, oh, really? Yeah. Such a like rare a, community. Like a whole wow. long, whole, yeah. There's a whole long story to it. But so one of the things that he mentioned is that the typically a, you know, a bird of prey, probably varying depending upon which ones he's probably talking about like red tail hawks or something average lifespan in the wild would be about five years is what he said. And I think in captivity is like 20 years or something. Yeah. Maybe even 30. He's might've said. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. I I think, yeah, it was, it was, you know, a lot longer. And so that's, it's interesting because it's very common to romanticize the hunter gatherer ancestral lifestyle. And I think oftentimes what that is, is comes back to circling back to kind of what you were saying in the beginning of like, it's almost like a a divorcing or a, a, a shunning of ourselves in a way. Like, I think there's like, that's like transitioning into this technological era where we're becoming AI and are going to buy an AI mansion and have an AI, you know, identity avatar and all that stuff. It's like this inbred story that we gathered along at some point that this isn't okay. And I'll be better when. Like that's, I think, the thing that we do with the romanticization of any other lifestyle. We do it with the AI thing too. I mean, doing it with the people who are into that are painting a utopia, and I look at it, I'm like, dude, that's the Hunger Games, idiot. What are you thinking? Like, (laughs) no, but they're picturing it like Star Trek. You know, like on Star Trek, like when whenever you were doing the like the you know 
the face-to-face communication thing, like they always had a great signal. You notice that? Like whenever they hit that little chest thing, it's like, oh yeah, you always have a signal. You're yeah. on other planets. You always have a signal. Because <laughs> let me tell you how it really works. Yeah. Like you, it doesn't, your batteries never die. Like everything is always perfect. You know, that was like the funny thing when you watch Star Trek versus Star Wars, you know, like Star Wars, everything's like beat up and dingy and grungy. You're like, that's a little more accurate. Star Trek, it was like, everything was always like perfect. It's like, if it's like that, then it's an oppressive society. What is this, North Korea in space? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. how is it that perfect, right? So people were utopian on either side. So you have, you know, I'm super guilty of being the like, doing the utopia is nature thing. And Elon Musk is maybe guilty of utopia is the AI world or whatever. Neither one's going to be utopia. They're going to be full of the suffering. That's just part of being, that's the Buddhist thing. Hey, life has a suffering component. Yeah. You know, yeah. that balances out the great joys and the elation and the ecstasy and all of that. But if I had to pick a way to hybridize this, going back to what I've been saying, is, is the zoo is a really good analogy. I like a zoo with an open door. So again, the difference is a zoo creates habitat that's right for that specific species. The farm does not. <laughs> the zoo feeds the animal the, the foods that are closest to what the animal would eat in the wild, right? The zoo has all of these components socially for the animal. They're trying to recreate the natural habitat as much as possible. When you look at our environments, you're like, we are not doing that. We're doing this farm slash jail type model, institutional model. The other thing that the zoo has, though, is those longer lifespans. So I would like to get the, I'd like to live in a zoo environment with an open door policy to the actual wild. That would be really nice. Yeah. Something like that. So we can get the best of both, but we are not, we're a ways away from even beginning to have a serious conversation about that outside of our little echo chambers of people who are interested in this stuff. I mean, we're, right. and I'm glad we have that. We are really lucky to have that, but I noticed doing my podcast after a while, you start feeling like everybody gets it. And then you go out and you talk to other people and you're like, Oh, they don't, they're not getting it yet. Mm-hmm. They're yeah. not getting it out, out there yet, you know, and they're, or you go to an actual medical doctor and you talk to a medical doctor and you're like, whoa, we're on a different page, bro. <laughs> Real different page. That's your, I know that you're, you'd have to be familiar with the rat park and yeah, yeah, that was, that I was, a, I think it was, I Johan think it was Harry's a, work you're talking about and the I, idea of I, the cocaine and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I think you it was wanna, like the seventies or eighties, but it, but it essentially it was like the idea that if you put a rat into a, into a cage and give him access to cocaine, he'll just blow his life away and just become a, a drug addict and just keep on, keep on doing, doing rails of cocaine. I don't think you do rails of cocaine actually, but if you put him in, put this, in the water, but yeah, yeah exactly. whatever, whatever, whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> but if you put him in this rat park scenario where you give him access to all the toys and all the things, give him a little rat girlfriend, other and, rats, I think was other the big rats. thing is a social experience experiences with other rats was a huge part of it. Right. Community relationship. It's the isolation, I think, was a big part of that. Problem. Yeah. And suddenly, suddenly it's like, oh, I'm not that interested in the drugs. And this is actually the thing that I, I really am interested in because I, I was going to say, go into kind of like, oh, like what's the perfect marriage between the hunter-gatherer lifestyle and modernity? But I, it feels like most signs that I see, you know, point back to community. And I think a lot of the tribalism that we end up expressing in the form of veganism or carnivorism or ketoism or what, you know, all the different ismism, all the, I'm all an the ism, ismist. yeah, exactly. Like all the different things it's, it's, it's worse. We're it have this dire urge to create a sense, a sensation of, of connection. I'm a part of something. 
And I think that that's really what we're like. We have these sublimated actions or urges that come out from this deep longing to be a part of something. Mm -hmm. And then you see like the, you know, the longest longitudinal study, I think it was done at Harvard, I believe it started in 1936 and still going on. And what they found within that was that people with community, like meaningful connection to community, that was those people would live the longest and be the healthiest and, and all the things. And I think that a lot of the stuff that we're doing, going back to the very beginning of the conversation, these natural innate tuning mechanisms that would just organically transpire in nature. I think a big part of that was the tribe organizing around one common goal and then completing it and then join that on repetition, which is kind of like what we're still doing today. Um, community. I, I, I feel well, like can that's I tear one of, into one that. The oh, there's, yes, some, please, there's some but, stuff there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. I want to, I want to come back. I want to make sure I circle back to community and octave up. Cause there's some, there's a bigger picture to this that I want to make sure we talk about. Yeah. But I would imagine like me, you may have seen many people start communities with this very intention. And then have you watched them all like crash and burn the way I have, or have you seen any work? Cause the ones I've seen are like, a, they're nightmares. I would never want, I would never, ever want to be part of any of them. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I can, I just, it depends on the definition of community, but whenever people are like, dude, we're starting an intentional community. Sure. We're like, everybody's going to be like living the way that we are all grieving. It's the right way to live, bro. It's like right. nightmare. The thing about those, so you're talking about those studies looking at longer, longest of people like blue zone people and stuff. Sure. And what you don't find is that this is a amalgamation of people from all over the place who didn't know each other. It's not the biodome. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the idea that, so here's the problem when we go back 70 years and we were talking about this a little while ago, you're part of a family. Maybe there's five to 15 kids and then so are the neighbors and so are the neighbors. And you guys are all the neighborhood kids who all hang out, but your families all live there. They rely on each other. They've been there for 300 years in that area. If somebody came from far away, it's like very rare. You know, there was no gentrification. There was no globalization yet. So uh, people are relying on each other and they know each other. And there's this kinship and blood relationships that are going on there. And intermarriage policies, which humans are big on, this goes all the way back to our deep antiquity. It's typically, it's the females go to other tribes to be married in. You don't, you usually don't want to bring outside males into your tribe. And there's wisdom there. That's not sexism. That's like, I don't want, precocious males coming into my tribe. No way. New lady. Sure. Hmm. Some guy. No way. Interesting. <laughs> right? Dude, that's, the, that's the, the cardinal rule at a party. Yeah. At high school college. Like, it's like, yeah. can I bring Bob? Like, no, yeah, no, <laughs> no, you cannot. <laughs> can I bring Kayla? Yep. <laughs> yeah, sure thing. And bring her friend. So yeah. So that was typically, and what you would do is create alliances between unrelated families through marriages. So now we're not doing that, right? Most people... Now, when I was growing up, I knew all the neighbors on my street. You remember you used to like... How old are you? 34. You may, you may or may not remember. Millennials. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're so, the problem. Man, I just went and saw the Batman the other day. And yeah. uh, I'm a big fan of the uh, Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy, like a big fan of it. And I was like, oh, like emo millennial Batman in that? Like, <laughs> What is this? The guy from Twilight is Batman? Yeah. Huh. Okay. So you may or may not remember, but when I was growing up, 
we would just go to people's houses. You just go to someone's house. You wouldn't call or anything. Oh, yeah. Just show up and knock on the door yeah. and then like have you in. And you just, people just were familiar. Yeah. I would never stop by my friend's house now without contacting. It's, it's them. like, it's like wildly rude. You're like, what? Very even, rude. even, even FaceTiming somebody. It's like, who do you think you are? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. My oh my God. FaceTime? Like, no way. Like text me, dude. What you think I'm not doing something right now? <laughs> So, but also like, I don't really know the people around me, my neighbors, right? We're all fractured off and really isolated. And there's been almost a systematic destruction of, this is like what I was saying about the, from the fire to the iPhone, to the Oculus. It's like from the, the big language group to the foraging group to the, you know, down to the nuclear family, you know, living in neighborhoods, down to the nuclear family living isolated, now down to individuals. And if you look at what's the trend line we're on, we're heading, we're trending towards a world where parents don't really have possession of their children in the same way that we classically have thought of it. And you can see this languaging. My, my wife's involved in the school department. I see this languaging coming down through the schools now, top down. This idea that your kids aren't yours, they belong to the state, you know? And so there's this separation off everybody's individual. The idea that you're going to take a bunch of these individuals who all have their own income sources, who all have their own isms and ideologies, who all have come from all disparate parts of the globe, that you're going to like throw a hundred of them together in a community and it's going to be like a community. It's like, that's not a community. That's like a mall. That's not, that doesn't, in my experience, this rarely works. And what I notice is people tend to want to do it on ideology. So it'll be like, well, we're a bunch of people who do paleo diets. We're going to live together. Or like our thing is, you know, Mormonism or whatever your thing is. Like people want to get together based on, it's the old tribal thinking. We want to get together based on how everyone else is different from us. We're the right ones. We're the like all of these tribal names, when you look back at like, what do different tribal names mean? The most common thing it means is the real ones or the real people. Yeah. Like everybody else is like fake people. So you see that mindset still going on. So I'm a little concerned that we we're learning that community is really important to our health and longevity, but that we have lost the mechanisms to actually create meaningful communities because Nobody's related. The families are too small. No one really knows each other, has history with each other, or shares blood. It's just ideological. And those people tend, ideologies, they tend to eat each other alive, like quite cannibalistically after a while. We see that playing out in the media all the time. Yeah. But I, I want to add this other component too. Um, what about community outs? Is it only species wide or is it interspecies? Because one other concern I have is that we're just talking about people but people are very isolated now from the community of species that we share the even I'm not talking about like on a grand scheme, like, Oh, all the creatures of the world unite, like Noah's Ark. I mean, like how many animals can you name in your backyard? Like how many animals from your environment, if you don't hunt or fish or bird or do something like that, probably not very many. Like we are just so ignorant of the plant fungi, animal and algal species around us. We just think people, people, people. That's why we start thinking like, oh, we keep on going like this forever. It's like, yeah, if we eradicate. So I think human beings are incredibly lonely at the species level right now. And I think this is affecting us in a really big way. And we feel isolated 
because all we have are other people. And we're supposed to know, like your average hunter gatherer would know hundreds of plant species and dozens of animal species, not just know their name, like know their whole life cycle and when they breed and where to find them and how to use them, how to detoxify them, how to break them down, how they interrelate with one another, what they eat, like all of this kind of stuff. And we are so ignorant right now that it's like we've been living in a little closet with each other. And I think we need to break out of that pattern before we start trying to like start utopian communities together. I think we should probably get to know the community of life around us. It's really sad. Have you seen that study where it was like children in New York City being asked to name animals and no. all, all they were really able to name was like animal, like little kids. I don't remember the age group, but young. All they were able to name was like animals from Africa. It's like little kids are like lion, zebra, elephant. It's like, okay, you live in New York. Like, what about the animals there? And then when they did quiz them on the animals there, they had negative feelings about those animals. Raccoons, they're dirty. They're dangerous. They have rabies. Skunks, they stink. Oh, they're gross. You know what I'm saying? So we have this weird thing where we have fantasies about animals in other places, but here we don't even know the animals that live where we live. It's yeah. astonishing the degree of ignorance. I mean, I was in Arizona recently. I got to eat an animal I didn't even know existed. The Quatimundi. I didn't even know that was an animal. It's like, wow, there's that a mammal this big walking around in Arizona. You didn't even know it was an animal. Lived in the United States my whole life. Been to Arizona 50 times. How did I not know that? It's That's like frightening. It's like a rabbit or something. What is it? What is that? It's like it's a it's like a ringtail or a raccoon in that family. Yeah. There's two things. One, just an unnecessary term that came up that I actually wanted to mention this conversation that you're describing now that I learned recently was from Sigmund Freud. And it's, it's called the narcissism of small differences. And that's the, the tendency that we have of nitpicking these little separations or differences between each other, because ultimately we feel, I mean, I, I might be projecting this, but I think we feel insecure with who we are, you know, and it's like, am I enough? Well, if you're bad, you know, or I'm smart and you're dumb or whatever, then, then just by default, that means that I'm okay and my tribe is right and there's, their tribe is wrong. And it's kind of coming Then we end up spending, like, like spinning our wheels in these differences. And then, you know, I think we can end up destroying ourselves in the process of, of finding how we're different as opposed to going from this other place of like working together. And then, so that was just a separate tangent that I thought was, was interesting. And I wanted to say as you're going, but the second thing that you were talking about in relation to animals and not understanding the world around us, I feel like that's, it's interesting because it's like, there's another book called whatever you think, think the opposite, very short book by Paul Arden. And, <laughs> and essentially it's, 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 it's so paradoxical that the more we focus on ourselves, I think the deeper we dig ourselves into depression and anxiety and, and disassociation in a way, like if you're too excessively focused in on self and in on human, and you miss out on what's like, what's happening in your extrinsic reality, it becomes incredibly lonely. Yeah. And if you, even if you look at art, like I think like, like ancient Chinese art is an example of that, like Taoist art or Confucian art, I believe I'm not an expert in art either. I, got, I borrowed this from Alan Watts, but the, 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 the older art, you'd see the, the focal point of the art was nature. So there'd be a person doing its thing, taking a walk or whatever, but it's just kind of like a part of the nature and now draw that to now. And it's like selfie. You know, like this yeah, is like, it's like Cardi B. It's like, wow, screw the room, you know, screw the tree. Yeah. Like, this is it. My nose. Yeah. I got a yeah. nose job. Look yeah. at it. And then yeah. within that, behind that, it's like, then we see, I'm not saying this is causative, but it, it's certainly corollary 
to the statistical trend towards you know what we're seeing in 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 industrialized populations of all things fat you know anxious depressed and that's not also not the entire i think we can also paint a really like almost like malicious uh, view on what's happening in the world there's also a lot of beauty in the world and i think that sometimes we can be a part of the problem by projecting more of this like vitriol onto what's happening and there's also the the availability and and, and option and opportunity to see the beauty and kind of like like stoke that ember of what's right anyways that was a lot lot of words and and there was yeah, no question I, I grew up um i grew up in the in christendom yeah. and you know the catholics are you know there's some divisions there for sure but they, you know they're largely the catholics compared to you know i know there's like some vatican one vatican two type things going on but there but when you look at the protestants it's like a gazillion kinds of protestant and i remember this argument of the navalites where it was like they're like because there was argument well would adam and eve have had navels because they weren't born and therefore never had an umbilical scar and this is enough to fracture a church like well we're the navalites we believe that they did have navels and we believe they didn't have navels <laughs> you know I do think it goes back to the the need for status. And I don't mean that in a negative sense. I mean that in a purely clinical sense. Like that, that's one of the, that's part of the hierarchy of needs actually. It's like, you need to know where you fit. Even if you're the runt of the litter or the, you know, you're the one who's like the scapegoat, that's like a total archetype role. Someone has to play it. We all know people who play it. It's like, Someone has to play the low status role in the group. In fact, there's arguments to be made that the low status person holds the group together, which is interesting, but wow. it's the same in a pack of dogs or a pack of wolves or whatever it is. There's, there's all this status. You know, It's funny because there's been this war against the hierarchies lately in the world, and um, in some cases as it should be, but it's gone a little too far because hierarchies are natural too. They form naturally amongst all kinds of animals. And, you know, so we are always trying to figure out where we are in the hierarchy. And then we do that tribally and you like, and then we do it nationally and we do it, you know, probably if we encounter something extraterrestrial, we'll do it with them. Like, well, we're the original biology. You're the fake one. You're the artificial one, like whatever it is, you know, we're going to have that with AIs like, you know, well, we're the star bellied snitches. So we're, we, that's a, I don't know if anybody gets that. That's a, I didn't uh, get that. <laughs> don't get it. It's uh sorry. It's um, <laughs> what's his name? Uh, cat in the hat there. Uh, Dr. Seuss book. Oh, no. I grew up with called the star bellied snitches. It's a good read. It's about can, this. Can you it's say, can you say more about the lower end of the hierarchy, potentially holding it together? I've never heard that. And that, that seems very interesting. Yeah, because like it keeps us from turning on each other. It's a place to vent our aggressions right. and it's a place to vent our frustrations. And somebody who scapegoats and takes the abuse keeps us from all turning on each other, you know? Yeah. It's like, did you ever have that friend and or were you that person or something? You know what I mean? Where I've I've been that person and I've been on the other end of it too. But it's like where it's like, for instance, when I hang out with a lot of hunters who are like old school hunters, like newsflash, none of them have long hair or tattoos like I do. Like no one, no one looks like me. So I'm the weird one. And I tend to be one of the younger ones. They love to just pick on me. And it becomes like this thing where it's like, okay, I have to just take it. It's like, okay, whatever. I'm learning from these people and it's fun, whatever. I'll just take it. But it's a way for the group to vent off frustrations too. you know. So there's something to that, like the, the runt of the litter in a pack of wolves or coyotes or something can, yeah. can play that role that, that takes the tension off for everybody else. And, and allows males or females that 
feel inclined towards an alpha position to be able to hold that. There's a certain like dynamic tension there. It's like, oh, if I get knocked out of that position. So by having a, a clear runt or lower you know, on, the, on the ladder individual, it's like, okay, there's this polarity there. There's a, there's yeah, actually somebody there's, can go kick. There's a, there's a, there's a, a quote I wrote down from Freud in relation to that thing that you might appreciate. It says it, it is always possible to bind together a considerable number of people in love. So long as there are other people left over to receive the manifestations of their aggressiveness. Yeah. It's kind yeah. Of so, can, so, so to me, like I get confused sometimes, like why we, why we want to, like, I think Elon Musk said, summon the demon of AI. Like why we want to do that before we work out our like most basic issues. It's so crazy to me, you know, cause it's like, let's say somebody comes to you and they want to train, you know, physically. And you're like, dude, you need to build a, a basic cardio foundation. You need a basic, you know, we need to, to develop like your basic skeletal muscle before you can start doing parkour, let's say, or something like that. It's like, Hey, you're not ready for that. And, and it's like, you got to start at the beginning of any endeavor that you do, you know, like I know in all my hobbies, what I notice, I take on a lot of new hobbies and, and I'm, so I'm, I get to perpetually do be the new guy at something and you come in and you want to do all the sexy shit at the top. And the people at the top always tell you the same thing, dude, it's just doing the fundamentals well, but it's like, oh, the fundamentals are boring. No, people don't often want to do the real work. Have you noticed that the top, like to be in the top of something, you don't have to be that good. You just have to put in a little more work than everybody. Hmm. Do you know what I mean by that? Like, you notice yeah. that, like, like you want to be in the top 90th percentile, it probably takes 5% more work than everybody. Not much more, just a little bit more, yeah. but people like they come in and they want, and they want it to be, they want to do all the sexy stuff first. And it's like, no, you got to do the basics, get that stuff worked out. Then you can start to build upon those fundamentals. We're not even like working through our basic shit as a culture. And we want to be gods. And I don't like say that lightly. Like that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to build a new universe and populate it. And we're trying to create artificial life forms and give them sentience. So we are trying to be gods and we haven't even figured out at like basic social dynamics. It's like, to me, we need to get back to our fundamentals. I, I guess I worry that we're, have you ever seen a kid with a, a rich parents, like really, really rich parents? Maybe they have a trust fund of some kind, or they're just set up in life. And you just watch them just, just piss it away or destroy their lives where you're like, man, if you could just, I feel like that's how we are, where it's like, here we are, we made it to the top of this hierarchy of needs the first time. What are we going to do with it? And look at what we're doing. We're creating this idiocracy. And it's, it's sad because it's such an awesome opportunity. Some of us are trying in our, in our flawed ways. I mean, I think most people who listen to shows like this, like, they're working on themselves. That's why they're listening, right? We're all like, we're all work in progress, but we're really flawed. So it's slow and we piece by piece and we make gains and we fall off and whatever it is, but we're trying, you know, but culturally we're, we're not honestly. Hmm. I mean, you look at like, there's been this big push, like I said, to change a bunch of our, our big social dynamics, but it's been more of a blame game than it has been an edification of anything, right? You just look, it's just like tearing people down tearing people down. It's like, what an opportunity, man. Like, let's seize this. Like, wow, we get this chance. You know, this is, might be the only chance. I don't think the solution is AI or becoming gods. I think the solution is taking advantage of this moment and doing some personal work individually, culturally, 
and as a species. Earlier, you just kind of like flippantly tossed out that we've been creating gods perpetually throughout history. And then as just like a throwaway point, and then you kept going with what you were talking about. Uh, well, what's like what one was, of the oldest stories is the Tower of Babel. Right. Or maybe not flippantly, right? so, but it was, you said it as a throwaway. Well, I mean, it wasn't so yeah, I know what you're saying. It was, like, it was a throwaway. Like, oh, it's like, I'm like, what? Well, it's an, well, if we can, if we can do like the Jordan Peterson approach and just be like, hey, well, however you feel about the Bible, have some freaking respect, man. This is the oldest. This is like the oldest thing we, yes, like there's. There's cuneiform tablets in Mesopotamia that are really that are six thousand years old, but none of us have copies of them. You don't go down to the bookstore and find those, right? Like the Bible, this like library of books is some of the oldest transmission. I mean, writing is not very old. Like people should really understand that. I always joke around about people six thousand years ago, old curmudgeons who are like, "You kids today with your writing." My day, we remembered all our stories. It's true. There was you know? resistance. There was six, a, re, that's just 6,000 years ago. There was, was distrust. That? There was distrust and resistance around writing because it, it had the, to the, have belief, been. the belief that was that you're going to you're going to spoil your memory. Right. It's literally um, the same as it's literally the same as now with outsourcing, you know, technology and your movement to, to you know, whatever, pressing a button for your garage door to go up instead of you doing it yourself. It's also not it's also not not true, though. Yeah, because I don't yeah. remember much of anything anymore like i used to do you find yourself like be really honest here you find yourself doing really really simple math problems on your phone because that part of your brain is so embarrassing and then i stop myself i stop myself and then i still five minus nine Uh, i'll just use my phone like what (laughs) what yeah so it's like both things are true we've always been like this and each time it has been it has been an incremental loss of capability and then a gaining of capability because it's like that Einstein thing. Why would you store something in your mind you could put on paper? I get that. But then we end up at the point where we go out in our backyard and we don't know what anything is. Yep. Right. Like the average person can tell you they have a lawn, but they couldn't tell you what species of grass is on it. Isn't that odd? Like that's really odd. Like imagine you planted your whole lawn and you don't even know what species of grass you planted. Like that's <laughs> fucking weird, man. Right. <laughs> You know, yeah. somebody's like, oh, what kind of dog is that? Don't know. Yeah. Don't know. <laughs> you know, what's your kid's name? Don't know. Why would I memorize it? I could write it down. So, you know, uh, but anyway, the point is the Bible is a really, really old, it's old knowledge that's been transmitted. So it's got a tremendous amount of cultural value, particularly when you go like, hey, this thing has a lot of meaning to all the Christians and all the Muslims and all the Jews. There's a lot of people. So it's pretty important stuff. And there's a story in there, the Tower of Babel, and it's about people who are wanting to be gods. And so they're building this tower to try to reach heaven. They want to be God. They want to usurp God. In other words, rather than enjoying the creation and the purpose of being in the creation, they want to be the creators of creation. And that ends very badly for them. And why were people talking about this? However long ago that was, 4,000 years ago, why was that even like, what is that, right? And so it's deep in us, this idea of we're not content to enjoy the creation. We want to create it ourselves. Or another another thing to call that is Luciferianism. And, And I think maybe we could ask ourselves, is this, are we becoming Luciferian in nature, in our culture? And and. I think a lot of people would not only say yes, but would be like, would think that that was a good thing. 
Um, so that's why I don't mean to be the old curmudgeon here today. Like, Oh, everything's bad. It's all so bad. What we're doing. It's terrible. It's terrible. But it's like, I lived in a house once when I was a kid and the family that had moved out of that house, their daughter had been murdered in a satanic ritual. Whoa. And, uh, I was, I mean, that's just like a weird anecdote, but it's like, um, Hey, that's not good. <laughs> right. That's like, I, you can't spin that good for me. You know, even when we do like what you were saying before as a mental exercise, like we could do the zoom out and be like, okay, how does this fit into the big picture of all the evolution of the universe? It's like, I don't, I just don't think that's good. Uh, and so, you know, Hey, like Luciferianism, it's like, I don't think it's good. I don't care if Jay-Z's into it or whatever. How do you define, I've, so I've read the satanic Bible is the extent yeah. of my foray into knowing, yeah. understanding anything about Satanism. And I actually found it really interesting. And I, yeah. I actually saw a lot of points that I aligned with throughout it, sure. to be, per, to be sure. perfectly honest. A big part was, was like the releasing of, of shame of like, if you have a sensation or a feeling, you want to have sex with a person, you want to kill a person, you want to like, ah, whatever you're having, it's not slapping a moralistic, okay, you're a naughty boy, mm -hmm. you're, you're a good girl. It's saying, ah, it's, it's like, it's like, yes, that's that a is. component of it. Yeah. yeah. Here, here, here that is. Hey, there was and, like really good stuff the Nazis did too. You know what I mean? They furthered science, like or, how much yeah. science, right? They did or, some good stuff. Or science. And by science, the way, science, they did like the worst shit in modern history too. Yeah. So just because there's goodness in something doesn't mean the totality of the thing is good. Right? And then, but does casting, is casting it out entirely appropriate or does that potentially perpetuate the problem of separation? And maybe, maybe there are, sometimes there's a cancer that needs to be cut out and that's the appropriate procedure is we need to actually excise it from the body. And then sometimes there's the opportunity to like love the cancer, you know, and go to Peru and <clears throat> drink ayahuasca and realize yeah. you had some issues with your mom or your dad. And you yeah. had this like adrenal fatigue because you always feel like you're under stress and panic and you don't sleep and you don't wake properly and you're addicted to drugs and you get down to the root and suddenly that, that manifestation of cancer doesn't need to be there anymore. And, and perhaps the cancer actually was there to protect you in some capacity. Are you playing the purpose. devil's advocate right now? I would never. <laughs> yeah, the Luciferian uh, advocate. That's good. Well, I think the difference is like, you know, kind of one of the oldest human laws is if it harm none, do as thou wilt. But Satanism is do as thou wilt. And that would be the big difference, right? So that for me is kind of how I would define that. But, you know, like one of the things that I love about like the knees over toes guy thing, the phenomena that is sweeping the fitness world, I'm doing all my knees over toes exercises now. Nice. I love the idea of like the reverse squat. Are you familiar with what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's just Ben. We just did a podcast. Okay, we, cool. We were just oh, awesome. like a month ago. Yeah. Or you sort of, you mentioned something earlier that reminded me of that too. I can't remember what you were saying, but it's like, it's like what he talks about with the reverse squat. It's like, Hey, you spend all this time pushing off your legs. Like when do you do the opposite motion? Yeah. Uh, oh, you said you named a book title, like everything you think, think the opposite. Right. It's the same concept. I don't know what the book's about, but similarly, it's like, that's a good, healthy thing. It's like, Hey, if I'm always thinking this, if I'm always like bench pressing, maybe I should do some rows because I want to stay balanced. Like if I'm always thinking this, maybe I should spend a little time thinking the other way because who's more obnoxious than like political pundits who only just repeat their party's thing all the time. It's like, can you never imagine what other people are thinking? Can you only imagine that? So, you know, I think as a, as an intellectual exercise, what you're saying is super valuable.
but you know, again, like a girl dying in a satanic ritual is just not cool to me. What the Nazis did is just not cool to me. And I don't see that as like, I don't think, I don't think this trajectory of wanting to be gods has ever been good for people. seems to me whenever we do it, we, it ends in horrible atrocity and we all say, we'll never let that happen again. And then a couple, then about four generations later, we do it again. Yeah. I'd like to take a moment to share something that I've been taking to make sure I'm covering all the bases with getting my greens. I've been taking Organifi's green juice for the last, it's been about three months. And I really love this stuff. Uh, it tastes absolutely delicious. It's like one of the best beverages you can possibly serve on a hot summer day. Throw some ice on there. It contains not only greens, but also adaptogenic mushrooms such as ashwagandha. It also has matcha green tea. So it's excellent for energy support, antioxidants, and genuinely being a refreshing beverage. So if you would like to get yourself a 20% discount on this or any other Organifi product, you can jump over to Organifi.com slash align. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com slash align for 20% off. If you're not totally satisfied with your purchase, you can get your money back. I think you're guys going to love the green juice. I hope you enjoy. That's it. That's all. Organifi.com slash align. We'll take a moment and share an exclusive offer only to Align Podcast listeners. That is a free bottle of Masszymes from Buy Optimizers. Masszymes is a powerful, best-in-class enzyme supplement that improves digestion, reduces gas and bloating, and provides relief from constipation. After you take Masszymes, you may notice that you no longer feel bloated after meals and that your belly feels flatter. And if you have a leaky gut, Masszymes could reduce gut irritation and help you absorb more nutrients. Like I said, this free bundle offer, it is a bundle because they're also including three books, uh, Sick to Superhuman, Ultimate Carnivore Cookbook, and Plant-Based Delights. There are absolutely no strings attached. You get your stuff, you pay for shipping, and uh, that's it, that's all. So you can go over to massenzymes.com slash alignfree. That's M-A-S-S-Z-Y-M-E-S.com slash alignfree to get your exclusive free product bundle. I think you guys are gonna really enjoy this stuff. I really love using Masszymes myself. I have it sitting in my refrigerator now, and I use it quite regularly. I think it's great stuff, and you get it for free. So enjoy that masszymes.com slash align free. I really greatly appreciate the, the manner in which you've lived your life to be able to have conversations like this. Uh, oh, likewise, man. Likewise. Yeah. I, I highly, highly recommend people checking out. I'm not even that into, you know, hunting and gathering and things of the sort. I mean, I do bow hunt. I bow hunted once. I have a bow. I more just bow shoot and bow hunt. I like to bow hunt. What kind more. of bow do you have? Uh, I, a Hoyt's RX5, a carbon carbon nice guy. Bow. I'm, nice I'm bow. so happy about it. It's so mm-hmm. rad. It makes me happy. Mm-hmm. It's such a beautiful piece of art and technology fused together into one like it's rad experience. It's weird how the bow has been a weapon for about like 65,000 years or so. And it's still being used to hunt. Like it's still relevant, even in the era of the nuclear, you know, of like the thermonuclear bomb. Yeah. It's still a relevant weapon. It's pretty unusual. And still awe-inspiring. Yeah. Like not just still relevant. It's still like you get a bunch of dudes or gals around you know, the, the new carbon fiber, super duper, you know, all the things. Yeah. And everybody just goes, Whoa. Yeah, I know. I, know. <laughs> I, I asked, like, I was talking to Katie Bowman once. And I was like, 
I was like, Hey, if you lived in a part of the world, like let's say genetically, you come from a place where the bow has been around for, you know, tens of thousands of years is the asymmetry of pulling that bow genetically in us. Does that mm. make sense? Yeah. Like, you know, some places like maybe it only came to the, the Americas 4,000 years ago. So it's relatively new technology here, but in some places it's really old. Like we've done that a long time. Every time you pull that bow, is there like resonance in your genome somewhere to mm. something that, you know, how many men in your lineage did that? Like we're talking like, a, like, tens of thousands of years. So if a generation's 50 years, you know, it's just, it's amazing to me to think about super cool. We can still do it today. Yeah. I mean, you see all that with the studies with rats and such. And the, the one of the, one of the ones was exposing rats They're there. I believe it was, I'm fuzzy on this, but it was, it was exposing rat mothers to a shock and then exposing them to like a, a particular odor, yeah. like a chemical odor. And they would and they would go through that. And then when the rat pups would come about, when they would smell that odor, they would have all the same signals of cortisol and norepinephrine and all like wow. the stress signal that, oh my God, I'm about to get a shock. And yeah. I wonder if there could be some type of like musculoskeletal relation. Yeah. Because it, it is there is something that that and it might be a, that might be a big jump, but there is something interesting that happens when you are doing like I went to a lot of this could just be my own kind of story and psychosomatic stuff. But I went to, to Morocco a while ago. I was just, I was there for like a couple months. And while I was there, I felt like this, just like deep, like oldness, you know, I don't know exactly what it is. And I think we have so many experiences throughout our lives or, you know, many people have that experience with like hunting. I, I had that with hunting as well, but there's so many things where it's like, it touches on something that you didn't know that you had. And it's hard to mm -hmm. talk about it because it's hard to quantify it. It's hard to kind of like put it like, haha, this is it. You know, but there's something really magical about that sensation. And, and it seems like perhaps there could be some type of tapping into some ancestral, I don't know, connection or yeah. messaging or something. But it's hard to say without kind of even like eye rolling it yourself. You know what I mean? I don't eye roll myself at that. Oh, I'm, good. I'm, I'm feeling it, dude. <laughs> you know, I, and I guess like kind of in, in conclusion, everything today, it's like, okay, so I'm see if I can kind of bring all this around because... Yeah. We use this term right now in our culture. We'll say that person's a conservative, that person's a liberal, and they're like they hate each other or whatever. When you know, I always go like, "Hey, dude, every plane I fly on has like a left and a right wing. I kind of want both wings on the plane. Like, I I don't want to be in a left wing only plane or a right wing only plane. They crash. I kind of want both wings equally working to balance it. That was the idea, right? And I think people are naturally born, you know, leaning one way or the other they kind of lean more conservative or more or liberal, right? So or the, today we use the term progressive. So today I've been saying like, hey, progressivism trends towards transhumanism, but you know, obviously conservatism can trend towards um, stagnation, right? So you kind of want both horses pulling kind of opposite directions so you can go forward, right? So when we're talking about this stuff, you're talking about some, that's conservatism. Like when you're like ancestral diets, talk about being conservative. You're going all the way back. You're like, I think it should be like it was 3 million years ago. Like that's very conservative, right? And we need that, but we also need progress. Like it's like, hey, how are we get out of this tribal thinking? Well, it's like we need to progress, but we, we can't do that without the antagonism of conservatism. And we don't want conservatism without the antagonism. So it's like, whatever you think, think the opposite. Or, hey, if you're going to bench press row, or if you're going to squat, do a reverse squat because you want to be balanced. And I think with these kind of conversations, it's important to realize like there's not a right one. It's not like the right thing is AIs or the right thing is going all the way back to the original, you know, hunting with a bow like on the Sahara. It's like, eh, 
the zoo to me is the middle approach, the middle yeah. road. And you know, that's like that Buddhist thing. Yeah. That's yeah. I, I feel like that's exactly before this, there was something that I was like an idea that came up for me that I actually wanted to talk about that I wrote down was um, reaching a point of interdependence in a relationship is like a, you know, a, a healthy thing to yeah. have established, you know? So it's not that I'm, I'm so independent and sovereign that I just don't need anything. And I'm just alone in my meat suit. And just like, I provide everything for the meat suit. You know, like that's a very lonely, desolate yeah. existence, you know? And then there's excessive dependence where it's like, well, without you, like you're my oxygen without you, I'm nothing. It's like, well, that's really unhealthy too. Yeah. You know, and then you can reach a, a, a point of this like new stage of interdependence. And I think that's yeah. exactly what, um, I think that's exactly what you get at with, with your work is not completely divorcing ourselves from modernity, you know, and villainizing is like, oh my God, it's just all bad. It's like, no, there's, there's actually a lot of value to be pulled from that. And, 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 in yeah. and, and reference to like the, the, the hawks living five years or 20 years, whether they're in captivity yeah. or in the wild. So it's like, okay, we can pull from that. And there, I think there's a deep subconscious like angst in knowing that your livelihood and everything, your happiness, your access to food, your access to, to everything is based off of this system that was created X amount of, you know, hundreds or thousands of years ago. And it's run by these like potentially maniacal figures, you know, they're <laughs> going to war and pressing buttons and like, ah, you know, gas prices are up or food. It's like, ah. Oh. I just hope I'm okay. I hope they don't do anything that causes me to starve. Yeah. Like that really scary, deep sensation of angst that any person, whether they realize it or not at a, a deeper subconscious level, probably I would, I would think if they're, you know, they would experience. And so to come to a place of like interdependence where we can work together, I can engage with that system and pull all the goodness and contribute all the goodness. And I do understand how to, do my own level of hunting and gathering and mm. homesteading. And so those are, those are things that I'm engaged with. I feel like there's a deep sensation of liberation that very few people probably will ever actually experience, but the few that do yeah. would be like, Oh yeah, that's, that's good. You got a Trojan horse, that message though, man, because like you, you're on YouTube, you know, like what's the, what's the least clickable headline. It's like balance is right. the way it's like, right, exactly. like people right. want to hear like extreme, right? Like, you know, yeah. Yep, down with true. the other side. So, but yeah, I think the reality, we all know that. I mean, I think we all know this, like, Hey, a balanced approach is the way to do it, but it right. just doesn't sell, man. It's, it's not like, interesting. Yeah. No, well, it, I think it is <laughs> once you hook somebody on it, but like, it doesn't get you to, it doesn't scare you. You know, it's like, it's like, Hey, big storm coming with potential landslides sells a lot more newspapers than sunny day tomorrow. Yeah. So, you know, people don't want to hear like, the, you know, they just, whatever, see, you know, I see the headline of this podcast, Aaron Alexander becomes a Satanist. We're like, oh, okay, <laughs> yeah, <cool>. exactly. Like, <laughs> <laughs> the whole entire thing. Oh, he's a Satanist. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Al um, aligned with the Satanic Bible. <laughs> um, so uh, where can people go to get deeper into your work? You have, um, yeah. Where, where, where do people go from here? Sure. So, um, like, as you mentioned, I have a podcast called Wild Fed, and I have a pretty big archive of uh, episodes uh, of another show called Rewild Yourself that still gets a lot of play. It's a much broader show talking about more topics uh, related to sort of ancestral living and health. But my current show, Wild Fed, is much more focused on wild foods and, and ecology. And then I have a TV show on Outdoor Channel 
Uh, we're in our second season, which is pretty cool. We're airing. Congratulations. I think we're, we aired our third episode of the season um, on Monday. So uh, if folks have cable, I know almost nobody does, but if you have cable, I'm on Outdoor Channels Monday nights at 7.30. And then um, you can see the shows. Season one is on MyOutdoorTV.com. That's their streaming service. And then we always tell people to get this service called Friendly, F-R-N-D-L-Y-TV.com. That gives you access to a cable bundle streaming online. So you can see the show Monday nights at 7.30 on Outdoor Channel through Friendly as well. And I'm on Instagram at Daniel Vitalis. Nope. And you have supplements and things. Of the and I've got a, yeah. And I've got a company now. My, my company, Sir Thrival has been in business now, Aaron, for 15, yeah, 15 years, man. And you've been saying, you've been, you've been touting a lot of the things that have become popularized in the last couple few years, like colostrum and things of the sort, which I think is just so I, we actually have a similar story of, uh, discovering raw dairy and butter and I don't know about honey for you, but I, I went like, I, I like OD'd on honey as well. Uh, but I went through the the very similar thing of like, you know, eating a half gallon of cream and a pound of butter and, and such. Yeah, in a day. You, yeah. So we both have oscillated yeah. through that. But, uh, but I yeah, just you've been put seeing- out three new three new colostrum products. So we did like these uh, a, a chocolate, a vanilla, and a strawberry using like real the real thing, not like you know artificial flavor. And man, I've been eating it out of the tub by the spoon, and it's it's not good to do what I'm doing. I'm eating like you know several <laughs> cups of it at a time, and then drinking a lot of water and going to sleep. But anyway, those products are awesome. Like <laughs> colostrums, I'm such a huge fan of it. Um, and I got some really cool products on the way as well. So yes, yeah, surthrival.com, like survive and thrive, surthrival. Yeah, you know, just I, I know where we're trying to wrap it up here, but last point. Oh, it's fine. Um, it's fine. I'm in no rush. I'm, Coming out of a Whole Foods the other day with uh, my producer Grant, and we we're on a shoot in Florida, I think. And so we're coming out of this Whole Foods, and I, I am having this experience now where I just cannot stand being a Whole Foods. Are you in Austin? Yeah, Mecca. Okay. Whole, Whole so Foods think Catholic. about all the things that you can't stand about Whole Foods, right? So we're coming out of Whole Foods, and all those things, I'm like feeling all like, oh, God, this is like insane. And we come outside, and I go, like, this is what we spent all those decades trying to create, and now it's here, you know? Like, when there was no health food stores, when there was no organic certification. Like I remember the days before any of this stuff and I worked so hard and so many people worked so hard to bring this stuff into culture. And now that it's here and it's like in this like Walmart model, you know, I'm like, ah, I don't like it anymore. Yep. But it is, it's cool to see, like, um, even though I can get a little frustrated by like how it manifests today, it's, we brought about the things in culture that we were working to bring about. That's really cool. So I know now I know when you're 10 years ahead or 15 years ahead or even five years ahead of where things are at, you know, like you were talking about finding like butter, (laughs) you know, before they were like big movements around these things. When you're ahead of things, it can feel like, man, no one gets it's really lonely. And then over time, like it works its way in and you like anchor those things into culture. So, you know, for all the stuff that we're out ahead of right now, it's, it's cool to know that in five or 10 years, they'll be mainstream. That's kind of exciting, you know? Yeah. Do you feel like, I wonder with, with you, do you feel like you have maybe like an inherent nature to kind of do the opposite? Do you yeah. think if everyone became yeah. super healthy, whatever thing, you'd like suddenly yeah. go, go full Oculus? <laughs> yeah, no, not Oculus, but but yeah, I think because because when things get entrenched, they become religious and dogmatic. And then and then they're, I think they get unhealthy. It's like that movie Chocolat. You know, I love that movie. It's like, what happens when we get too rigid on an idea and an ideology? This is an ism thing. It's like the ideology is like, like as soon as you start being like, I'm a whatever ist, it's like, oh, you're in, you're in a bad territory, you know, time to shed that label and move on. So yeah, I, I do that. But I, because 
you need to do a reverse squat if you do squats. Yeah. That's why I do that. And it's such, I think it's such a valuable thing to have the uh, just the self observation to be able to see your own trends. And that's like your own mm. trends are sometimes the hardest to spot. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of people's personality types and perspectives and ideologies and such were flushed out during the time frame of the lockdowns and oh, like yeah. BLM and all that. Like there's people that like, they were like your good times bros, you know, we're like, yeah. Oh yeah, cool. Like, yeah, we just hang out, you know, we Netflix chill, swing kettlebells, go for hikes. Like it's all good. Suddenly the shit hits the fan. And you see these these deeper sub personalities yeah. start to express out. And as we kind of got exposed to this, like this, like I think it is like a one of those like Chinese sushi conveyor belts of like issues that everyone needs to be focused on and like yeah, virtue, yeah, yeah. Vir- virtue signal on the internet about to make yeah. sure that you're a part of the right tribe. I could almost see my own trends of like, oh, if that comes up, I almost know my reaction to the thing yeah. before the thing yeah. happens. And it's like, yeah. oh, like what is that reaction? You know, is yeah, that, do I actually believe what I believe or am I just resisting it? Because yeah, right, man, just when, running when out COVID my... first start, like when I first <laughs> heard that COVID was happening, bro, before it was even a thing over here, I'm at my post office in rubber gloves and a mask. Yeah. As soon as they started telling me I had to do that, I was like, I don't know. Right. Is there any science to this? You know what I mean? It's just contrarianism. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's important you know, whatever. But yeah. you got to live a while before you can start to even see these patterns in yourself. You know, yeah. you got to get around the sun a few times anyway. Yeah. If you're in your 20s, it's kind of hard to know. Damn millennials. All right. Well, thank you so much for uh, <laughs> for this. I really enjoyed this. I look forward to the next time. Hopefully we'll do it in person. And so check out Sir Thrival. There you go. You no, Sir Thrival. S-U-R-T-H-R-I-V-A-L. Cool. Sir Thrival. And then um, Wild Wild, wild is the show. And that's the podcast. Yep, you got it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I greatly appreciate you. This is fantastic. And uh, thanks for having me on, man. Thank you all for tuning in. That's it. That's all over now. Hope you guys dug that conversation. Por favor, leave us a review on wherever you're listening to this. Uh, You just scroll down on your cell phone, just takes a second. And if you think it deserves a five-star review, that's great. I want to thank uh, Colby LA for leaving us a review. I read his review in the beginning. Good chance I'll read yours in this episode if you do. Thank you for sharing this with your friends if you think it's valuable. If you want to tag myself at Align Podcast, you can do that. You can also tag Daniel Vitalis. And uh, that's it. That's all. Appreciate you very much. I'll see you next week.